God, source of all light and all that is breath, by your word you give light and breath to the soul. Pour your spirit upon us, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that being taught by your, you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be opened to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The first scripture reading is from Psalm 158. It can be found in the Sanctuary Bible on page 577 of the Old Testament. I will give you a moment to open your Bibles or your apps on your phone containing your Bibles to that scripture, Psalm 138. Listen now for God's living word. Psalm 138 of David. I give thanks, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the, Lord, the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he perceives from far away. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretch out your hand and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Wow. Before we turn to God's word in our gospel text, I want to lift up a rather significant announcement that I failed uh, to note for you all. It's what happens when I leave my notes on my desk. I apologize. We have a carillon concert also following worship today. We are welcoming Michelle Lamb. She is a graduate student at the University of Michigan, a PhD in economics, and in addition to her studies, she also continues her music studies uh, and her uh, work with the carillon. Our carillon is a very special instrument. It's a 23-bell carillon up in the tower. It is the oldest carillon in the state of Michigan. It's quite a remarkable instrument, and we're excited to welcome a remarkable musician um, to play for us following worship. If it's not raining, it's great to sit in um, the memorial garden and just take in the sound. If, if it is raining, I encourage you to go into the church parlor, open the windows, and have a seat uh, in, around the uh, parlor and just enjoy the music. And now let us turn to our gospel text, the gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 37 of the New Testament. Let us listen now for what the Spirit is speaking to the people. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. And when Jesus' family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. And he called to them and spoke to them in parables. Jesus said, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then, indeed, the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they had said he has an unclean spirit. Then the mother of Jesus and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. The crowd was sitting around Jesus and they said to him, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, who are 
my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes. Open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness and fill our lives with your light. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without life. Grant us wisdom to walk in your ways and open us always to the guiding of your Spirit. Amen. A few years ago, a man named Simon Sinek made a lot of waves in the business world. Simon Sinek is a so-called business guru. He has a mission to help the business community understand that people, as he says, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Now, Sinek spends his energy reframing how people understand their sense of purpose. Henry Ford did not build cars. He advanced human mobility. Simon Sinek would say that Apple Computers is not a computer company. They design products that help people think different. And Martin Luther King Jr. was far more than an activist for civil rights. He believed that the world would have just laws only when the laws of humanity became aligned with the laws of God. And Sinek likes to say that this is why Martin Luther King Jr. gave the I have a dream speech, not the I have a plan speech. Sinek says that why we do something matters above all else. He also likes to tell the story about the birth of human flight. There was a man named Samuel Pierpont Langley who was given every advantage to discover the innovation of human flight. The United States War Department gave him unbelievable access to capital. And Langley had a place to work at Harvard University and the Smithsonian Institute Institute, he had the best and the brightest joining his teams to engineer what had never been done before, human-powered flight. The media followed them everywhere they went as they tried to do what had never been done before, and Langley and his team made two, exactly two attempts at flight, and both failed. And after the second attempt, Langley retired from the project. Meanwhile, Sinek reminds us that there were two brothers simultaneously working toward the same goal in their bicycle shop in Dayton, Ohio. They had only the income from their shop. No one on their team had a college education. Nothing about them said that suggested that they were capable of this outward possibility for success. 
And supposedly these brothers would bring five sets of parts with them every time they tested their machines because they knew that they would crash over and over and over as they sought their goal. They were persistent believers in the impossible that humans could achieve flight. Now, the difference between Langley and the Wright brothers, Cynic explains, is that Orville and Wilbur were driven by a cause, a sense of purpose, a belief. They believed that human-powered flight would change the world. It would change all of our lives. And hasn't it? They were willing to give everything they had toward this goal, to discover flight. And about two weeks after Langley's second failed attempt at flight, on December 17th in 1903, the brothers achieved their goal. They flew. Why we do something matters. The beliefs that underpin the motivations of human life matters. And the purpose at the heart of this disagreement that we encounter in Scripture, this disagreement raised with Jesus, is about purpose. And while various religious and political groups argue about the interpretation of religious practice, Jesus gets focused on God's purpose. The religious authorities, even Jesus' own family, understand that the world works in this one particular kind of way. And Jesus responds by intensely reframing their understanding about, about evil, about forgiveness, about healing, about who our family is. Jesus redirects the attention of the people toward God's redeeming purpose, God's hope, God's grace, the unity that is offered by God's Spirit. Now this moment in Scripture, this story, is not the first time that Jesus clashes with authority. It certainly will not be the last But what Jesus does, though, in healing and casting out demons does not immediately register with the human way of understanding the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of experience with these kinds of things. I imagine you're in a similar boat, but what is most important here is that there is a focus on what Jesus is doing and how Jesus is doing, and Jesus then reframes the conversation to be about why Jesus is healing and casting out unclean spirits. Now, before the story we read this morning, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, there were a few rather provocative events First, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. And word spread and massive crowds begin to gather in order to see Jesus. And among that crowd that gathered, there were unclean spirits. 
And these spirits would recognize Jesus, and they would fall down before Jesus. And after this, Jesus called and appointed 12 disciples to begin to spread the word of God's grace. It was certainly a busy week in Jesus' life that gave people something to talk about. In the scripture we read this morning, they are sure talking. But before Jesus even gets a chance to teach, the people have spoken their judgment. Jesus is out of his mind, they say. People are talking about it, and what they say, well, it's, it's not so good, really. They've heard the story, they've checked their facts, and the verdict is in. Jesus is out of his mind. What Jesus does, how Jesus does it, points to this very thing. The question at hand is, how can Jesus cast out demons? So they accuse Jesus of casting out demons in the name of Beelzebul. Now this is a pretty big deal. This is the not-so-gentle and wildly provocative suggestion that Jesus is actually on the side of evil. How else would Jesus be able to push back on evil unless he had that same power? Jesus must be out of his mind, people say. But Jesus pushes back, though. He challenges this simple assumption. Jesus reframes the discussion to ask, why would Satan cast out Satan? Why would evil fight evil? And the argument begins to unravel. Jesus, we see, is never one for letting people stick to conventional ways. Jesus is hardly one for keeping the status quo. Jesus will not let us face the world without facing some of our most fundamental realities, even if we cannot see them. And then Jesus reframes family. If this were not enough, who is my family? Clearly my brothers and sisters, right, Jesus? Well, maybe. But there's another family, too. A family whose origin is of purpose, not of ancestry, not of birth. Whoever does my will, Jesus says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. If one turns to the original biblical language here, if one reads in the Greek, this phrase actually is saying whoever participates in the purpose of God is my family. At the heart of it all, this whole conversation, Jesus is pointing to God's purpose. Jesus blesses people who follow. Jesus blesses the church, the faith community, with a deep and abiding sense of purpose. And at the heart of Jesus' ministry is establishing a sense of God's purpose among human communities and throughout all of creation, which is to say Jesus is turning the world toward establishing mercy and 
wholeness and peace and forgiveness. And the question that is being asked is why? Why? Why would Jesus heal the disabled man? Why would Jesus welcome the demon-possessed? Why would Jesus draw near to those who have unclean spirits? Why would Jesus engage with these politically-minded people questioning every move? Why, why, why? Jesus is out of his mind, after all. And for that, maybe we should offer our deepest gratitude. Why? Because Jesus loves. Why? Jesus pursues establishing mercy. Why? Jesus seeks the unity and the wholeness of people living in community. Why? Jesus is seeking an active relationship with those who are rejected, boxed out, excluded, and turned away. And the question is still, why? I think the pastor and theologian Stanley Hauerwas can help us answer the question, why? Hauerwas writes, Christians once thought their task was to make the gospel intelligible to the world rather than help the world understand why it could not be intelligible without the gospel. When we are rooted in why Jesus came to the world, speaking truth and mercy and love, our lives look far too difficult to live without this kind of grace, without this kind of Savior, without this one who is renewing people in body and heart, and soul, and mind, and strength. Michael Curry is the bishop of the Episcopal Church in the United States of America. He might more popularly, more recently, be known as the man, the priest who presided over the royal wedding. His sermon made a whole lot of waves and went all around Facebook, if you're on Facebook. But he also wrote a pretty interesting book called Crazy Love. And Michael Curry, this bishop, he thinks that Christians, that the church, should be out of their minds just like Jesus. In his book, he writes, we need some Christians who are as crazy as the Lord. Crazy enough to love like Jesus, to give like Jesus, to forgive like Jesus. To do justice, to love mercy, to walk like Jesus. Crazy enough to dare to change the world from the nightmare that it often is into something close to the dream that God dreams for the world. And those who would follow Jesus, those who would 
be disciples, those who would live as and be the people of the way, well, it might come as a shock, but they are called to craziness. The church is called to join in God's purpose in the world of sharing hope and peace and love and joy For those are gifts first from God that having been received is irresistible to turn to our neighbor and share. The church, when it considers its purpose, why it is a church, this might just be the answer. To be so out of our mind that we would love like Jesus, dream like Jesus, hope like Jesus, and forgive like Jesus, and it would certainly give the world something significant to talk about. I imagine those conversations would change us as well. I certainly hope they do. To God be the glory today, tomorrow, and all of our days. Thanks be to God. Amen.